Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. This is Terry Wickstrom. And boy, we've got a beautiful day out there. Has summer finally come? Are we not going to get any more snow here? Are we going to melt the snow that's up in the mountains and see the runoff start? I mean, everybody's just... uh, it's been just tough to predict. You know, we could have had flooding by now, and we really haven't even, on the front range side, we haven't even seen the runoff start. Um, I think next week I am going to try to line up a bunch of the fly shops because I think we're going to start seeing, uh, we're, we've got to start seeing runoff. There's a lot of snow up there. I flew over it just recently, and I'll tell you what, it's uh, there's a lot of snow that's got to come down yet, and whether it'll come down suddenly, you know, we get, a week in a row, a week of warm nights up in the mountains, and uh, it could change things dramatic, dramatically here. So we'll see what goes on with that. Uh, there's just a lot going on, and the rivers have remained fishable in a lot of places. So we'll talk more about that next week because I think it's really going to change. So we'll line that up. But today we're going to talk a lot of conventional fishing. In fact, we may cover some of the same bodies of water more than once in today's show and get different perspectives on them because. It's really time. If you just want to catch fish, it isn't necessarily the best big fish time. You can catch big fish, but if you just want to catch fish, that time is now. In fact, let's go to the phones, and uh, joining us is Brad Peterson. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. You know, do you agree? I mean, it, right now, if you are if you want to catch warm water species especially, the trout will be good, and they'll get better, and there's things going on there, and the lake trout are in a different place but the walleyes, bass, smallmouth bass, panfish, up and down the front range, uh, this is the time. This really is the time. And the nice thing about this time of year is if you've got a boat, they're biting on the lakes. If you don't, uh, there's shoreline opportunities. The small ponds are biting. You know, there's good bites happening there. The moss hasn't grown up or the weeds too bad to really limit the shoreline access for fishermen. So this is the next two, three weeks is probably the best time, like you said, Terry, to catch a lot of fish and a variety of the warm water species here in Colorado. Well, what you said about the ponds really hits home. I did some uh, some looking around here a couple of weeks ago. In fact, I posted it on my my Facebook page with a little video, by the way, on a technique to catch uh, panfish and small ponds. You may want to take a look at that on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. You'll have to scroll down a little bit. But I went out, and as a pond I like to take kids to, it's full of small bluegills and bass and some decent crappies you get once in a while. But it's one of those where the, when the bluegills are in shallow, you can catch a fish almost on every cast, but uh, it mosses up and gets almost impossible to, to uh, fish. It was wide open uh, when I went there just a week or two ago, and it hadn't even started mossing up yet. It will soon, but we're behind on all of that. That pond, by this time, usually by the end of May, you can't fish it. Yeah, we definitely are behind on a, a lot of that aquatic vegetation. Uh, I was at a pond on Thursday night and, and saw the same thing. And then yesterday, I was up at uh, North Sterling. And last year at this time, the water weeds were up, real visible, you know, real thick mats, tougher to fish through. 
I hardly saw any that actually extended all the way up to the surface. You could still fish over top of them, which, and, and that's probably about, like you say, we're, we're probably two weeks behind on everything right now. No, I absolutely agree. Tell me, I know you've been fishing about some bodies water. Take us through some of the bites. I know Glendo's one everybody's interested about. Tell us what you've seen happening at Glendo. Glendo, like everything else, uh, like we've been mentioning, is about two to three weeks behind. When we were up there last week, start of the week, um, like Wednesday, some of the people were seeing water temperatures at like 54 degrees. By Sunday, it was hitting the 60s, low 60s, back in the shallows. So those fish have, the, the runoff has started up there. The upper end, that Elkhorn end, is pretty muddy. There are still some fish in there if you can find them in specific spots. The canyon region, uh, the fish are really transitioning through that. Um, last weekend, there were a lot of fish at the tournament being caught in that area. And then, then the fish have just started to push into the bays, and so they're headed into the the weeds. There weren't many weeds there, but if you could find them, they had fish, or the willows and the trees is where most of the fish were pushing up into. So I would say with the warm water we had this week, the people up in the trees uh, or the bush areas should be catching a lot of fish. There's actually, surprisingly, a pretty good bass population that's starting up there, Terry, and some really big crappies too. Are they largemouth or smallmouth bass? They're largemouth, um, and they they seem to be pretty uh, pretty innocent when it comes to fishing approaches. I know we caught three of them that we visually could see, and all we had to do was drop our jig to them. We didn't even have to cast; they were that close to the boat. And as soon as something dropped in front of them, they were they were annihilating it. So it's. There's some good opportunities up there if you're going up to Wyoming. If you are, remember, there are special regulations if you bring your boat up there about having inspections done. So double-check the rules before you head up that way. Well, and, you know, Glendo's never been known as a a bass lake. I think that what's happened in the past, because the water raises quite high in the spring— but then it draws down fairly quickly a lot of times, at least the initial drawdown out of that trees. And I think it's affected the spawn. So you think there's been just a more stable drawdown the last few years or a different water level? Think, what do you think contributed to that? I think that's a lot of it. Um, one of our friends jokingly said, you know, you see one bass caught every two years at Glendo. And uh, Charlie and I, my fishing partner, we were joking that we had 28, day, 28 years worth of bass caught in one day up there and, and fish up to four pounds. Yeah, you guys were so, supposed to be walleye fishing, though. Hey, we we were trying to uh, walleye fish, but the bass seemed to be cooperating a little better for us. Yeah, no, and I, that's good to know because the more diversity we have in these lakes, typically, as long as it's not some bucket biologist influencing things, the better, you know, the better the fisheries are, they provide more recreation and so that water you said in the beginning was quite high. Is it still on the rise, though? Yeah, it's still going up. Um, and, you know, it's it's back. I guess it's at about what they call full pool. So it's back up in the trees. You can find some four to five foot depths in the trees. But most of it's that two to three feet, at least last weekend. But it was coming up uh, anywhere from a quarter to a half a foot a day. So you could be... You know, you could be looking at six feet in a lot of that area, and and that's kind of that, once you get past about that four-foot depth is when the fish 
feel a lot more comfortable moving into those trees. Yeah, I know Glendo's a very unique lake in the fact that because it fishes so differently in each phase, when that when the water moves back in those trees and the walleyes follow, and then if the bait end up spawning there, then usually by the end of June, that water's pulled back and there is it's either not in the trees or the fish aren't there anymore. And they start following the shad out and suspending when you get into July. Um, I think we could be a little behind that, although you can catch up in a hurry. We we could catch up in a hurry, but I would completely agree. Um, it wasn't until Sunday that we actually saw any bait at all back up in those trees. And it was just a little bit. The, the bait hadn't started spawning. In normal years, you know, that first week, second week of June, the bait are already up there spawning. You know, they're, they're all over the shorelines. They're up in the trees. So with the bait being behind, you know how it is, walleyes or any predatory fish, a lot of the year is dictated by their stomachs. They follow where the food is. Oh, without, and, without question. And so since the bait's going to be late going in there, they're going to go up and stay in there longer. Even if the water gets real warm, they may pull out during the heat of the day or find the shade and not be as active. But if that's where most of the food is, they're going to end up having to be in there for a portion of the day so that they can eat. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Before we move on to a few other lakes, what are you? Um, what do you feel? Is Glendo going to fish well this summer? I mean, does it seem like the population's in good shape? Is there a good number of big fish? I think it is going to fish well. There's there's a good number of big fish. And the other thing that a lot of the people who fish up there a lot were saying is they had ice cover for one of the longest times this winter that they've had in quite a few years. And from what they're seeing, they're not seeing as many shad just with their electronics. So you know how it is. A good population of fish with a down cycle in the forage usually means for good fishing. No, it sounds good. Of course, like you said, it's something if you're going to fish Wyoming, there's some special costs and regulations that you need to take care of. But I know you've also been out on the northeast lakes here right in state, and those aren't fishing so bad either, I understand. No. um, Boy, the northeast lakes, especially when you get out to the Sterling Jumbo area, have been fishing phenomenal this year. I was out at Sterling yesterday with my dad, and just in the morning we caught 52 fish. Uh, And all those fish were casting. We didn't drag bait. We didn't troll. We didn't do anything else. Um, The deepest we probably were was 12 or 13 feet. And uh, casting crankbaits or, or pitching jigs and plastics, Lots of really, really good quality eater fish. I'd say, you know, 14 to 17 was probably the most common size. And then the next most common would have been those 17 to 19s. Now, a lot of walleyes. What about other species? We caught a few drum mixed in. And, uh, you know, drum aren't real common in a lot of our lakes, but they are a blast to catch. Oh, they will pull your string. Yes, they will. And uh, we caught one carp that uh, actually ate a jig. And otherwise, we didn't get any of the other species. I'm hearing of some people getting into some crappies. But the water temperature was 64 to 66 in the morning. And by 9, we saw a couple spots hit 70. So I think those crappies have either pushed up into the trees and are spawning or they're just coming out and they're suspending out in those uh, the weeds that are there, but like I say, they're they're kind of behind on the weeds, so they may be out roaming, suspending. Whereas we were kind of targeting the shorelines, 
So the way we were fishing wasn't real conducive to catching many crappies. Well, it's good to know that the walleyes are, were they walleyes or sawgeyes? Um, most of them I'd say were walleyes. I think they're mixing both of them in up there. Uh, but most of the fish we were catching were walleyes. Okay. It's nice to know that that's got a good bite going on. And, you know, and the catfish will come on there, too, here shortly, which makes a great uh, spring bite up there if the rivers are flowing. How is the water level at Sterling? Sterling is is full. I mean, it's it's topped off to the brim. There's no water coming in. There's no water going out. So, you know, you've got the most area to fish. One thing to do note at Sterling is they're having a little trouble getting A&S inspectors. So the south boat ramp is only open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The north boat ramp or the Elks campground boat ramp, which is kind of by the marina, that is open seven days a week, seven to eight. If you do get there early, have a white receipt and have been pre-sealed, you can launch before the inspectors get there. But the past few years, it's kind of been the opposite, that the south ramp has been the one that's been open the longer hours. So just make sure people are, you know, want to make sure people are aware that they have to go to, if you're going middle of the week, it's best to go up to the Elks ramp. That way you can either get on early and when you come off, you can get resealed. Um, But that one will be open seven days a week. Now, one comment I want to make, if they're not letting water in and out of there, having no current run through, that will change the fish location, and people need to be aware of that. that that's very true, um, and it also changes the water clarity. Um, that ditch is over 40 miles long coming in to Sterling, and so the water gets pretty muddy and silty going through that. So when the water is coming into the lake, it really gives kind of an off-cut, well, just a, a stained color to that south end of the lake where that water comes in. The fact that that's not happening, the water's clearing up quite a bit. So the key is to kind of go around and look, find where the muds or the, the wind and waves have been creating a mud line, maybe making it a little bit darker water. Or as it warms up, you're going to start getting a lot of boat activity, whether it's the jet skiers or the water skiers. And they can actually be a benefit on a real clear, you know, calm day where there's not, there hasn't been much wind activity. They'll create a mud line as well. So keep an eye on, on where those waves are crashing up and you might get into a few more fish there. All right. We got 30 seconds. If you didn't want to drive to Glendo or the Northeast, where would you go close to the front range? I would go to Boyd. Um, the bite had been tough, but earlier this week, the inlet turned on. And we all know as the inlet turns on at Boyd, there is a lot of fish move up into that marina area. It's probably going to be crowded, but you're going to have a lot of opportunity at both large and smallmouth bass, uh, white bass, uh, walleye are in there, the trout are moving up. So it's, it's a great opportunity to catch a lot of fish close by. All right. Brad, if people want more information, it's Brad Peterson Outdoors. Brad Peterson Outdoors on Facebook or Brad P. Outdoors on Instagram. I am running guide trips on both uh, Boyd and Sterling, and we've got a new package out there teaching people how to jig fish. So if you're looking to learn how to jig fish, check us out and get in touch for one of those trips. My favorite way to fish is with a jig, and you said you caught a lot of those fish up in Sterling that way. It's just a fun way to fish. Brad, we will talk to you again soon. In fact, a couple, two, three weeks, you'll be doing the show. I, I will, and I appreciate it, Terry. All right. Have a good Th- one. Thanks. That's Brad Peterson. We're going to take a quick time out, and we get back. We're going to talk to Parks about...
bear interaction right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Rebecca Farrell, and she's going to tell us how easy it is to keep your children warm while camping by getting them to cuddle up with a bear. Is that right, Rebecca? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe just a little different. (laughs) (laughs) No, we certainly don't want that unless it's a teddy bear. But we do have a healthy, robust population of bears in Colorado, and the wildlife in Colorado are one of the reasons people go into the outdoors and People go viewing, but um, bears deserve and require a little bit of caution, don't they? They do. And, you know, as with all of our wildlife, you know, if you take a little bit of uh, extra precaution to to respect their space and respect the fact that we're in their environment, um, you know, you should have an amazing time outdoors. And odds are you'll you'll only see a bear where you should, which is sort of off in the woods and and doing normal bear behavior. And and let's, yeah, let's be very clear. When when we give these reminders, which sometimes I wonder why we have to do, but we do. Um, it's not because we, we don't want to, we don't want to warn you about going outdoors. The, the, the odds that you would be attacked by a bear or a mountain lion or even a moose um, are very rare, but they do happen. In fact, bears are probably one of the least animals that wants to interact with humans unless they've been conditioned. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Bears are incredibly smart and they generally have a a really innate sense of of fear and wariness of us. Um, They want to deal with us up close and personal about as much as we want to deal with them up close and personal. Um, So most of the time, if they are aware or they can hear us, they hear us around a campfire or hear us talking to a buddy on the trail, they're going to leave the area before we ever know that they're there. Um, But if they are conditioned, if they've had easy food sources for people not keeping clean camps or keeping their bird feeders out or or any of those kinds of things, um, they do start to lose that fear because getting food is the most important thing in a bear's life always. Yeah, I, I, looking at my waistline, it's become too important in mine too. So we'll, but, <laughs> well, um, but let's let's talk. Let's we'll, we'll get back to the feeding and being conditioned humans in just a bit. But let's talk about I'm camping. What are just the basic things I need to be aware of? Take me through the bullet points. Yeah, I mean, the the most basic thing always is just to keep a clean campsite. Um, you'll want to safely store your food. So if there's a bear box available, absolutely take advantage of that. Um, if there isn't a bear box available, you know, keep food in a cooler. Keep it in a locked car. You want to always have your windows rolled up and your, your car locked. Um, any trash, use the trash containers usually provided at the campsite. Um, so those are usually going to be bear-proof in, in bear country. And if you are backcountry camping, again, pack in, pack out, hang your goods so that there's nothing near your tent that would be attractive to a bear. Well, one of the things I, that always amazes me is you talked about keep your car locked. Bears have become very adept at getting into cars, but they're really poor about getting out. And <laughs> they, they first of all, if they, if they do get in they cause, and they can't get out, they cause tremendous damage. Absolutely. Um, the, the handles on the outside are, are a lot easier to get to, even if you think about it from our own hands. A lot easier to get to a maneuver on the outside than the inside. We have to usually kind of go inside a little cubby, and a bear can't do that with big bear paw. So they usually cause a, a lot of damage and, and leave behind a lot of things that are ripped and torn and, and some other things they generally leave behind as well. And you don't want, um, you want, if you are storing food or something with scent, you really want it in an enclosure in the car, not just loose in the car, right? 
Absolutely. If you have a trunk available, definitely use that. Uh, bears are also, again, incredibly smart. And so they've gotten to know what coolers look like. And so if they can see a cooler inside that, that car, um, they're going to want to try and get that even more. So if you don't have a trunk, maybe you've got more of an SUV that's a little bit more open, put a blanket over it, put something over it so that it's not quite recognizable. Another thing, too, is people um, don't think about this a lot, but obviously you don't want bears rummaging in your tent. Um I can tell you an experience that my wife, Karen, and producer had with a grizzly bear that tried to get into her tent up in the Arctic Circle. It was not a uh, a fun time, if you get my... <laughs> but they get, oh, attracted, they get attracted to a lot more than just food, don't they? Well, yeah, and I think people don't tend to, you know, we know what's food and what isn't, but if you have something like a cherry-scented chapstick or even sunscreen that might have a little bit of that tropical smell that you bring into your tent thinking it's not food, it's no big deal, a bear doesn't know the difference between a real cherry and a cherry chapstick. So if it smells it, it's going to want to try and get it. Yeah, so you have to be very cautious of all kinds of smells and odors and things. And uh, just, you know, what you said, keep it clean. If you... If you cook something over your fire, really clean it up. Don't bring dirty dishes, dirty pans into your tent area. Keep them away. So if a bear comes, what should I do if a bear wanders into my campsite? So if you see a bear in your camp, you know, do your best to to haze it away, just as you would do if it was kind of coming close to your home. Um, You can make loud noises, yell, bang those pots and pans together. Um, If you're near your car, um, hit that horn. Uh, Make all those noises that that will generally let it know that there's a person in the area and try and haze it away. And certainly if you're in more of a a populated campsite um, that's managed, let the camp host or the, the, the ranger know that you've seen a bear in that area. What about if I'm walking down a trail? And then we had an incident of this, and I want to get back to the feeding part after that we talk about this. But you're walking down a trail, and you see a bear up ahead of you, or it crosses up ahead of you. How should you proceed? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's very important for us to stay alert all the time on the trails in Colorado. Um, you know, you want to make sure that you're keeping an earphone out, hike with friends if you can, and, and, you know, be aware of forage areas. But if you do see a bear, again, for the most part, um, they don't want anything to do with us. So you'll want to stay calm, obviously, which sounds a lot easier than it probably is if you see a bear standing in front of you. Uh, but you, you stay still, speak to it in a really loud voice. Uh, that should be enough for the most part, to have a bear go ahead and move on on its own. And if it doesn't leave, if it's a little bit more curious, you can make your arms up over your head, kind of wave them, make yourself really large. And again, keep talking to it. Um, You don't want to get in a stare down with it, but you want to keep an eye on it. You want to make sure that you continue facing it, slowly back away and give it some space until, you know, the bear is out of your sight. I think with um, predatory animals like a, a bear and a mountain lion, the worst thing, of course, you can do is run. And Absolutely. it triggers that instinct. But let's say the worst case scenario, a bear does attack you. There's some misconceptions about that, too, isn't there? There are. You know, we get asked quite frequently um, on staff, what do I do? What do I do? Do I play dead? Do I kind of roll over? And absolutely not. Um, If you have the opportunity before a a bear really approaches you or if it's kind of coming towards you, you know, try and force that exit, stand your ground, throw rocks. If you've got a trekking pole, um, you know, use that to your advantage to make yourself look even larger. But if for some reason a bear does attack, you definitely want to fight back. If you have a knife in your pocket, again, if you have those trekking poles, you want to use everything in your power to fight back. What about bear spray? Is that a good idea to carry here? You know, it's it's not a bad idea just from a from a security standpoint. 
Um, but you do have to be very cautious on how you use it. Um, you know, if a bear is, is too close, it's going to be ineffective and it's probably going to render you ineffective as well. Um, so you want to be about, you know, 40 feet away um, when you're using bear spray. If you're much closer than that, um, you know, odds are you're never going to be closer than that. Um, but if that happens, you know, you're probably going to be more in a fight mode at that point. Right. We're, we're actually out of time, but I want to make one more point. We did have a bear that bit somebody just recently and had to be euthanized. And by the way, that's another point. The fact that when people don't interact properly, it usually ends up with the bear being having to be put down, which none of us want. But the bear that bit that lady, it turns out its stomach, you told me, was full of bird seed. So that bear had become conditioned probably to eating from bird feeders, getting used to the fact that humans were associated with food. Is that right? That's absolutely right. You know, we, we try really hard every year to remind people of good bearware behavior. And one of the things that, that people just don't realize is that bird feeders are an amazing source of calories for, for a bear. Um, they can get, you know, 7,000, 10,000 calories alone just out of one bird feeder. And so if they find that and they have it repeatedly filled for them, they're absolutely going to come back and they're starting to associate people with food. And so, you know, we really, really ask people to take down your bird feeders, whether they're liquid or seed. Um, it, it's just they don't need it this time of year. Birds are, are able to find berries and seeds on their own, and all it's really doing is providing a bear with easy source of calories. All right, Rebecca, we're out of time, but I do want people to know that a press release came out about this from Parks and Wildlife just yesterday, I believe. And if we haven't already, we're gonna. It, it's already posted, I've been told. We posted that on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. So if you're going to be spending out time, just go read that and then follow up some of the other information on the Parks and Wildlife website. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Terry. You bet. Rebecca Farrell, always a great source of information. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to take you to Boyd Reservoir and see what's going on there on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going right to the phones. And uh, joining us from Boyd Lake State Park, which we mentioned a little bit early in the show, is uh, Lauren Turpin. Good morning, Lauren. Good morning, Terry. How's it going? Going great. I bet it is a gorgeous day there right now. It is. The sun is shining. Yeah. Why don't you tell people where Boyd Lake State Park is located and describe it a little bit? Sure. Boyd Lake is located in Loveland. Um, we're about five miles from I-25, if you go west. Um, just a little, I guess, a reservoir in the middle of a big downtown area. We're pretty close to Estes Park, so a lot of people like to go up there when they're visiting us as well. Um, a big boating lake, big boating reservoir, so that's our main recreation out here. Well, boating, fishing, so we're going to go through a bunch of that. In fact, you got just about everything you could do at the lake, including camping. Don't you have like 140 campsites or something? We do. We have 140 campsites. Um, they're all electric. We do have water and um, a dump station as well. So a lot of folks like to come out here for a little weekend getaway. Now, you book probably pretty far out on weekends, right? We are. We're actually booked every Friday and Saturday from here till beginning of August, actually. Um, so it's pretty rare that people cancel, but you never know. You might be able to try it and get that spot. And But during the week, you still have quite a few openings? Yes. Sunday through Thursday, it's not a problem. You can come up here. Um, we actually do all of our camping through a reservation system now. So unfortunately, you can't just come and pay through the envelope system for camping. You do have to either call a number 
um, or you can go online to Colorado Parks and, and Wildlife website. But, you know, that new system, though, works out really well, especially for a park like yours, because there used to be a three-day window to do it online, and now you can do it the same day. And like some of the parks, like we were talking the State Forest uh, Campground, and they said make your reservation before you drive up because they don't have very good cell service. But for Boyd, Boyd Lake, you guys have great cell service there. So somebody could drive, go into the park, see if there's a find a spot and actually reserve it, look and see if it's available that same day, right? You can, yeah. That that number, that one eight hundred number, is twenty four seven. Somebody will answer it on the other line, no matter what time it is. Or you can go online and you see that site that's open. It's real time on your phone or your your tablet, and you can go ahead and book it right there. And while you're camping, I believe you have a great swim beach there. Is that open? What's your water level, by the way? I've heard they're coming up fairly significantly right now. We actually just started getting all of our water. I think it was Tuesday or this week. So all the water's gushing in. We're great fishing. That swim beach, um, that the line is out. It's open for swimming, so people can come on over. Yep, and the swim beach stays open all summer? It does. We do close um, the day after Labor Day. Um, so Labor Day is the last kind of hurrah for people to get out here and swim. But with that swim beach, you've got, I believe you've got concessions on that swim beach. Can you buy food and rent paddle boards and things? Yes, we do. We got um, a food concessionary. She sells, you know, everything, pool toys, food, drinks, soda. And then we do have a rental concessionaire. It's, um, he's out of the Swim Beach building itself, so you can come and rent those, take them out on the lake and have some fun. And I believe you, I mean, you have a full-service marina there also, and they sell gas and they have slips and things like that. And I think they even rent boats. They do. They rent boats. Um, they have pontoon boats, kayaks. Uh, jet skis, little pedal boats. Um, so you can. There's something for everybody if you come out here. Well, and as far as boating too, I want to get to the fishing because a lot of people to the, in listening to the show really are interested in the fishing. But there's it's a re- great recreational lake. It it is shallow enough where the water gets fairly warm, but deep deep enough to support a great fish population. And the fishing varies, and we'll get into that in a minute. There's a lot of different species. But you have, you know, water skiing and jet skiing, but then you have a lot of wakeless areas and you have a lot of areas where people who just want to mildly cruise around or even be in a kayak or a canoe or people who want to fish away from the wakes can get away from that, right? Yes, we have a kind of a special area up north on our lake. It's a a no-wake zone, so folks go up there and they anchor their boats um, just to hang out. Paddle boards, I suggest Going up there, they're not fighting all that traffic that's going around the lake, pulling tubes and skiers. So it's actually pretty calm up there. Um, you can get your you know, paddle boards and kayaks and not worry about being run over. And before we move on to the fishing, too, you have a, now that you have a great trail system around the lake, and now that's interconnected to trails all through northern Colorado. Yes, we do have the Loveland, uh, City Loveland Trail that goes through the park. There's about three and a half miles that is in the park. It's paved, it's cement, um, it's maintained by the city of Loveland, so those guys do a great job. Um, and it actually goes all the way up to Fort Collins, so if you're an avid biker, or maybe a runner, or just want to take a walk, you can actually walk all the way up to Fort Collins with that. No, and it does, and it's and it's a lot prettier than people would think being in a metropolitan area. There's a lot of trees that buoyed, a lot of outdoor, mountainy feeling areas, and along that trail, also with the interconnect. And one other thing, too, is that your park office does a lot of the things 
that you have to normally people think they have to go to the Denver Park office to do, doesn't it? Yes, we do a little bit of everything. We do um, boat registrations, ATV, snowmobiles. We sell hunting and fishing licenses, park passes. Um, so, yeah, we're kind of a one-stop shop if you, you need to get all those things done. Right, and without having to drive down into Denver. Now, let's talk the fishing. We we heard some reports, and you confirmed that, that the water is flowing in. And when that water flows in, that marina area fills with fish, usually white bass, uh, the walleyes move in, even some of the crappies and panfish, certainly some of the largemouth and smallmouth bass. And you have catfish. You have a very diverse population of fish there. Are you hearing much about what's being caught? Yes. When we started getting our water, um, the fishing, you know, kind of picked up a lot. There's a ton of people out here today even. Um, yeah, just all that water flowing around, stirring up all that water. Um, it's, the fish are loving it. People are catching um, quite a few species, all the bluegill, crappie, and all that's flowing in. Um, we got some white bass. There was a catfish caught not too long ago. It was a pretty big one, 21 pounds, I believe. Wow. Um, yeah, so we got uh, the whole fish are, it's just doing so well. And I've, I've walleye fished there. I've, I've had a tremendous white bass fishing there at times. I've fished for largemouth bass. Um, in fact, some of those are on my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. Um, you can go to that and see some of the fishing I've done right at Boyd. But it for it really holds up well and usually fishes well throughout the year. The thing people need to do is be aware of what's going on. Is there water coming in? Isn't there water coming in? That will change where the fish are located and how they behave. And different times of the year, different species will be more active. But it is a great fishery that seems to sustain uh, great resources year-round. Um, do you expect the lake to fill this year Is now that the water's coming in? We do. I think we are we might even get a little bit over. Hopefully we won't flood out, but um, we're supposed to get all of our required water, and uh, it's flowing in right now, so it's a good sign. Oh, it's very, very good. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, I hope people get up there and take advantage of that. We have so many great resources throughout the state. Lauren, thank you so much. Thanks, Terry. You bet. That's Lauren from Boyd Lake. You know, Boyd's like a lot of the metro area lakes down here in Denver. The fact that there's just, we you don't have to go up in the mountains for two, three days. Not that that isn't fun and you shouldn't do that, but you can get out and enjoy fishing, take a kid fishing right here, right in your backyard. In fact, we're going to talk more about taking kids fishing after this time out on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And we're going to go to the phones. And uh, before I introduce this guest, you know that we are evangelistic on this show about getting youth into the outdoors, whether it's fishing, hunting, camping, creating those memories, recruiting people that will maintain the heritage of the great outdoor activities this country has seen. And we like to recognize people when they step up and really don't just give lip service to, but really work at it. And that's why we're joined right now by uh, Vaughn Peterson from Bass Pro Shops. Vaughn, uh, Bass Pro has stepped up and really made an effort to get the kids into the outdoors, especially right now fishing. Tell us a little bit about what's going on. Hey, Terry. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, so we have our uh, Take a Kid Fishing campaign and uh we do this every year uh around this time and what what we do is um during our spring classic 
our customers um, bring in, donate rod and reel combos, and we give them a discount off a new uh, combo rod reel. And so then we take those uh, combos and we we make sure they have good line on them. We clean them up, make sure everything's in working order. Um, and we invite groups from the community into the store and and donate those items. And uh, it's it's a great way to get kids out um, fishing, get them outdoors. Uh, we do this in each of our stores. So nationwide, it's 55,000 55, um, rod and reel combos that we're able to get out there and, and uh, inspire kids to do some fishing. Well, it's just a tremendous, tremendous program. I don't know what the status of where you're at in the program right now, but even if it's for next year, what type of organizations do you like to invite in to give these rods to? Well, uh, right now, um, to give you an example, some of the groups we're working with is uh, Dream Culture, uh, uh, the Laredo Lions. There's a program there where uh, they is an extracurricular activity to teach kids to fish. It's a great program. Of course, Denver Pal has a fishing program, and, and they do fantastic job jake schroeder and team there and uh, the boy scouts is another group um, we have volunteers that go out with with the boy scouts and one that started last year was angling with officers um, started by our pro staff jack winters and that's been a very successful program we did it with aurora police department last year and and now denver police department as a way to give back, but um, what we see is a lot of kids, families of these officers, and, and get them out, and we make sure they have gear so they they don't fish on that day, but that they can continue um, getting out also with the right equipment. Now, are, are the rod giveaways over for this season? I know you still got kids' activities. I want to talk about those, but are the rod giveaways over now? Are we talking next year? Or are there still a few? They left? are. Um, we've we've committed we've committed all of our combos for this year. But if if somebody's interested in in next year's, they can certainly contact myself or Brandon Welch here at the store, because um, you know uh, we add groups every year and. And really grateful um, to our customers. So if, if you're looking to to donate, um, just remember our, our spring fishing classic during that time. And you know, Terry, they're so generous. A lot of times they'll buy a kids combo, donate it, and then uh, get their own combo for the year. So it's it's a great program. But we it really depends on the generosity of our our customers. And I work with a number of sponsors and things every year, and I give out as many fishing rods as I can. We do some activities at the International Sportsman's Expo Exposition, and I try to find kids. I used to do a thing where I walked around your store with some gift certificates, and we used to get kids, and I'd surprise them and get them some fishing gear. And I'll tell you, <laughs> the reward was just fantastic. Now, you still do have in-store activities for kids going on this weekend and next. Is that right, Vaughn? Correct. So um, today and tomorrow, uh, one in the afternoon till four, we have a kitchen release pond at the front of our store, and you know you can get a picture, a free picture download uh, of of the kids. And so you know a lot of kids that haven't had a chance to get out, or or um, you know sometimes it's their first fish that they catch, and so that's a fun activity. We also have 
seminars and and just on the catch and release pond that's both this weekend and next weekend saturday and sunday one to four um, but we also have seminars and we're fortunate enough to have uh ryan wood on our team right uh, junior and high school bassmaster champion and and who better to learn from than uh, ryan who's come up through the ranks yeah we certainly uh we were involved quite a bit with ryan he was uh uh, appeared on ISC. We've had him on this radio station several times. In fact, we've had him in studio, and he really, uh, he didn't just kind of dip his toe in the water in the bass fishing world. He splashed onto the scene with, I think, two different national championships and a scholarship, and uh, really just, a, and a tremendous young man, too, at the same time. Very, yeah, very good. We're lucky to have him for the summer. During the uh, when he's back in school down at at uh, Dallas Baptist, he works at the Grapevine Bass Pro. So anyway, we're we're very grateful to be able to have him here for the summer. Um, yeah, outstanding young man. Now an- another thing too, um, if people they think though I want to get my kids out fishing, I haven't got the faintest idea what to do. First of all, there's a number of ponds throughout the metro area, and right now these ponds are fishing really well for uh, stock trout. And for um, a panfish, there's a lot more panfish than people think. I posted a video on my Facebook page that people can go look at about oh, a couple weeks ago, so you might have to scroll back. But it's a very simple, basic technique that you can do with any rod and reel and a bobber and a hook and then either some soft bait or a night crawler, and you'll catch these trout and these panfish. And now I say my kids don't have equipment. Well, you come down to Bass Pro you can actually get these kids outfitted at really reasonable prices with those kids' combos, can't you? Yeah, yeah, and thank you for providing that information. That's something that we get asked all the time is, hey, I want to go fishing, you know, what do you suggest? And um, so we'll we'll definitely refer them to that page too. And, and yeah, there's so many places, and, and we just want them to get out and start catching fish, right? And then they can work their way up from there. But, um, yeah, these ponds are, are excellent. You know, St. Vrain is where we see a lot of folks. We've got the Rocky Mountain Arsenal in our backyard. We have Hudson Ponds, and, and as well as a lot of other community ponds that are available. So great resource. You're absolutely right. And a lot of the lakes around, too, have – you know, Bar Lake and Aurora, there's great shore fishing. You might need to learn a little bit. But if they come to your fishing department, you've got some very knowledgeable people that will help them get started, right? Yes, yes, definitely. We'll take the time to teach knots, um, teach rigs, and just everything they need to know. We'll even take you out back and practice some casting. But, um, yeah, uh, you know, everywhere from beginner to, to expert, our team's ready to, to help help you out. Vaughn, we've got to go because coming up is somebody you know well, Nate Zielinski, although we don't recommend anybody <laughs> learn to fish from him because it's just, <laughs> actually Nate's I've one. personally learned a lot from Nate and uh, that has a lot of great info. So yeah, that's, Nate's, that's great. Nate's one of our favorite contributors, but we try not to be too nice to him. <laughs> but Vaughn, thank you for coming on and thanks to, you know, uh, I've been in this industry a long, long time and I've heard, I've seen a lot of companies give lip service to getting kids started and it's really a pleasure to um, have been associated with and to hear what you guys are doing for the kids. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Terry. You bet. That's uh, Vaughn Peterson. He's the manager over at the Bass Pro Shop here in Denver. We're going to take a time out, and we will be joined by Nate Zielinski, and he always has great information on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.